and their failures. I pray, God, in the midst of it all, we would just simply see your grace. And so, Lord, we just thank you once again for this evening. Just bless us for gathering together under your word. One more time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Hey, Scott, can you turn the heat off? It's hot up here. What about me, Bill? <laughs> Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 18. We're looking at the life of King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Yahweh rules or Yahweh judges, and it's not so much, again, the purpose of judgment judges, but he guides his people, and we've seen how he is doing that through this king. And this king, who is considered to be a good king, we'll see the good, or at least we did last week, but we're also going to see some of the areas where he failed, but also how he came back to the Lord. So once again, the kingdom is divided, the kingdom of Israel. There's the northern kingdom that include the ten tribes. This is called Israel, but then there's the southern kingdom that it consists of Judah and Benjamin, and that's where the focus is on Chronicles are these southern kings. And again, the one we are looking at right now is King Jehoshaphat. And so in chapter 17, previously last week, we saw when it came to this man's personal holiness, what we saw in the first part of chapter 17, how he built borders. Jehoshaphat did what we all needed to do. He built and maintained a border between himself and the worldly. As we saw last week, right now, one of the worst kings of the northern kingdom is King Ahab. He is in power right now. And so Jehoshaphat, he built barriers because there had been war between Judah and Israel for many years. And so he fortified his position. The worldly, the worldly are those who are contrary to he who is spiritual. We all need to set up certain strongholds in our life to keep out that which is detrimental to our relationship with the Lord and our walk in Jesus Christ. There are certain standards that we need to set within our lives, certain lines that we need to draw and make the determination that we're not going to cross. Because each and every one of us, we know what causes us to stumble. We know what draws us away from the Lord. Where I draw my line might be a different place than you draw your line, but we need to do so that we have that strong walk with the Lord. And so that leads us to our second point, and that we were told that Jehoshaphat walked with God. To walk with God is to live your life according to God's direction as his word reveals to us. So for us to walk with Jesus Christ means to study the word of God, to know the word of God, and to do the word of God. Thirdly, Jehoshaphat delighted in the ways of the Lord. He delighted him because he understood the nature and the goodness of God. He understood grace revealed, compassion unlimited, mercy extended, kindness experienced, patience that refreshes, and love that has been lavished upon him. And if Jehoshaphat was aware of all of those things, how much more so should we be aware of them because of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God? And so we have experienced the love of God displayed upon the cross and the grace of God revealed and how much more so should we be delighting, our way, or delighting ourselves in the ways of the Lord? And then fourthly, we saw how Jehoshaphat made the 
teaching and the preaching of the word a priority. We saw that he did so earlier as far as his, 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 uh, his personal walk, but then later on he encouraged others to go throughout the land. And in verse 9 of chapter 17 it says, So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. He knew the importance of not just knowing the word himself, but those whom he had influence over, that they would be well-versed in the word of God also. Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, to be diligent to present himself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. To rightly divide the word of God is to know it, to understand it, to take it in its context, to understand what God is saying, and then follow through in the will of the Lord. Now, as positive as all of those examples are, tonight we are now going to find some fault in this man's life because all men, all women, have fault in their life. And we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And when it speaks of the judgment seat of Christ in that context of 2 Corinthians 5.10, it's not speaking of as far as condemnation, but just judgment as far as our obedience to the Lord and our works and of what value they have been to the kingdom of God. And it's for the purpose of receiving eternal rewards. And so what we'll see is, is how even a good and godly man can be entangled with the world. He can be influenced the world to his detriment and even the detriment in this particular case of this king's kingdom. But again, especially for those whom he has influence over. Jehoshaphat, his main problem is when faced with opposition, because you have to keep in mind, in the background of your mind right now, it'll come to the forefront in a bit, but Syria, Syria is starting to come upon the scene. This nation, this nation that is starting to consume nations, is attacking nations and defeating them. And so he's concerned about this nation, Syria. He's got a little bit of a buffer with the northern kingdom of Israel. Matter of fact, now hostilities have ceased. They seem to have made a treaty between one another, Israel and Judah. And now as Israel is concerned about Syria, Jehoshaphat is more than likely thinking if we can stop them through Israel, then we won't have to deal with a battle in our land. And so he's going to compromise his trust and his relationship with God for the purpose of joining forces with this ungodly nation. Jehoshaphat, as he made these compromises, it's going to have very deep ramifications. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Keep in mind, the world that he's becoming friendly with is, again, King Ahab, one of the most ungodly of all kings. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells on us yearns jealously? He's not jealous of us, but he's jealous for us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so entering into chapter 18, the first three verses, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him had persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. 
So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. So again, that Syrian king, it's Ben-Hadad, he had made some grand promises to King Ahab. Earlier, he had faced Ahab in battle. Ahab, through the grace of God, because God was with him at that time, enabled, God enabled Ahab to defeat Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he had him at his mercy, and it was God's desire that he would slay him, but he preserved him. And now this is coming back on him. uh, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, made promises to Ahab. He told him, I'll give you back all of the cities that my father had taken from you, and we'll restore everything back to how it was. But guess what? It's three years later, and the world lied to protect its hide. Syria now has strengthened itself once again. And they never did give back those cities. And so that's what's being referred to here with Ramah Gilead is that Ahab is thinking, well, Syria is starting to strengthen. We defeated them once before. We can defeat them again. And we can also rightly take back that which is ours. Now the world Ahab, he's made an alliance of sort with the godly. Again, Jehoshaphat. Somewhere along the line, Jehoshaphat, he gave his son to be married to Ahab and Ahab's wife is Jezebel, so Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Jezebel is one of the most wicked women in the Bible. Ahab, again, he is, he is something very unclean in the sight of God. What kind of daughter do you think they're going to produce here? And so Jehoshaphat, this just tells me he's more concerned about his alliances keeping his borders safe, and again, this threat that is on the horizon, Syria, having a, an alliance with him, having this treaty that he's able to withstand the attacks of the world, or at least the attacks of Syria, so he joins himself to the world. And again, the idea here is, and really what is at issue with Jehoshaphat and what he's doing, he's not trusting in God. He's not trusting in God that has done so much. But then... We need to consider, how do we do? How do we do when we're facing a situation or an enemy that seems so much greater and so much stronger than us? It can be so easy to cast off or the Lord. Now, not that we totally cast them off. Maybe just kind of offer up an SOS prayer. But align, himself, align ourselves with that which we're able to see, that which looks strong and mighty to, to us for the purpose of defeating that which was being, well, and which is attacking us. What do I mean by all that? But as we're going through trials, as we're going through the hardship of our lives, are you truly seeking the Lord in the midst of it? As I pointed out this morning, and we saw in our study in James chapter 1, God uses those trials to refine us and to grow us and mature us in our Christian life. And and what's an earmark of he who is being matured through trials by God is his dependency upon God and how we cling to the Lord. Or we can forsake the Lord and go according to our own understanding or join ourselves with whatever it might be that will relieve us of that momentarily hard time, difficult day, but God's work is not seen through us as we forsake him. And so Ahab Ahab and Jehoshaphat, somewhere along the line, Jehoshaphat compromised, and now it's going to come back on him. So first, what we'll see is what happens when you are yoked with the worldly. 
it's going to cause compromise. Jehoshaphat developed a relationship with the world, and I'm sure as he was asked to come alongside of Ahab in that battle, he felt obligated. You put yourself in a compromising position, and it's kind of hard to say no. I mean, it had to be a hard thing to say yes, but it was an easy thing to say yes based upon the situation that he was in. And this being the case, it leads him. He's now, this is sin, what he has done here. And we're told that later on. We'll see it in chapter 19, verse 2. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, he's a prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. He's faced with his sin, the reality of his sin there. And again, in 18.1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with one of the most wicked kings in the scriptures. And so he's kind of hedged his trust with God with an alliance in the world. He's compromised, and now he's going to find himself in a very bad situation. Verses 4 through 8. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire of the word of the Lord today. So Jehoshaphat is used to inquiring of the Lord. Yeah, he, he made the mistake, but nonetheless, they're about to go to battle. And so you can imagine, as they're going to go face this, the, 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 this great enemy, this, this huge obstacle, he wants to, he's thinking, we haven't sought the Lord on anything. I mean, obviously, because he's made the wrong decisions. Ahab doesn't seem to want to seek the Lord. So Jehoshaphat, again, says, please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Well, the problem with this is that these prophets aren't prophets of the living God. When there was the split between the nation, the northern part of the nation established their own religion that was contrary to what God had established. So in actuality, these prophets are false prophets or worldly prophets, so they're just saying what the world would say to do. It says in verse 6, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord? Now when he says, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord? That's him recognizing that these prophets are not of the Lord. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man. And so the king, even that northern king, realized there's still a man out there that hears from God. His problem is, they don't like what he has to say. Now, when you hear that word prophet, understand that a prophet is he who God speaks through. And so the prophet, the idea of a prophet is God's word coming to those who are are wanting to hear of him. And so this king Ahab, he doesn't like what this one prophet says. Why? Because he doesn't like to hear what God has to say. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. And so again, Jehoshaphat is realizing they're in a compromising position. He's about to lay his life out on the line here. And as far as these 400 prophets, at worst, they're just telling him what they want to hear. They're telling the king exactly what he wants to hear, but he understands that's going to lead us to destruction if, in fact, 
that's the case. At best, they're just simply leaning on their own understanding of, uh, well, maybe one army is greater than the other. Now that there's alliance between north and south, there's more people. But they're taking God out of the equation. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we're told to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let that sink into your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Give your all to trust in God. It says, and lean not on your own understanding, even if the situation has an appearance of good. Even if the situation makes perfect common sense, what does God's word say concerning the situation? What is God telling you? And and again, that's the determination that we need to make in our lives for all situations and circumstances, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. God is the one who's able to peer inside or, or he exists in the future and he understands and knows how these things are going to end, how they're going to work out. That being the case, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and he who sits on the throne and knows the outcome of all situations and circumstances. Now, apart from the influence of compromise, Jehoshaphat does do the right thing, and he stayed, he he inquired of that prophet, and he sought to see exactly what God would would have them do. And so I, I wonder along these lines, how many people who are facing overwhelming circumstances maybe missed the boat even this past week, not depending upon what God says, knowing what God says, but choosing to ignore it. Again, King Ahab, Are you an Ahab? You understand that God's word is truly the word that comes from God, but you don't like it because it's contrary to your will. Or maybe you're a Jehoshaphat, you placed yourself in a compromising position, and, well, you hear what the world has to say, and you're allowing the voice of these 400 whom you know to be false overwhelm your better better decisions and not following through on that singular voice of reason that cries for what we are to do. The world is always going to leave us down a path that brings destruction, and destruction is about to come upon one king and nearly upon another. But we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, by all things, we are to lift all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let our requests be made known to God. And then we're told, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That means in the midst of the difficulty, I'm able to have a contentment as I understand to the best of my ability as I know the word of God, as I understand who, I'm, who I am in the sight of God and allow God to do the work. And again, it's then that I'm going to have that peace which I search for. It's not a peace that is built upon me or my limited abilities, but this is a peace that is dependent upon the supernatural ability and knowledge of God. Sean, can you check the heater? It just, it's blasting up here. Verses 8 through 15. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zechariah, the son of Chenaniah made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. 
Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophet with one accord encouraged the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he says, and, and you have to understand that he's being sarcastic here. Yeah, go, prosper, and they shall be delivered. Yeah, they'll, they'll be delivered into your hands. And so the king said to him, he, did, he wasn't buying it, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? It's interesting once again that he recognized Micaiah as hearing from God, but do you see how hard his heart is and how he has closed his ears to the desire of the Lord? Verses 28 through 34, this is what we're skipping over, but they've gone and they're, they're moving up and they're coming up against this enemy. In verse 28 it says, And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. So they've taken the advice of these false prophets and now they're going contrary to what God says to do. Verse 29, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. So look at the confidence that Ahab has in his prophets. I mean, just put yourself in Jehoshaphat's place. You're in a place you shouldn't be. You've compromised, and now look what this king is doing. I'm going to dress up like the common soldier, but you keep your your kingly robes, your royal robes on. Well, what are they going to come? Who are they going to come after? He's going to blend in with the crowd, and they're going to be gunning for the king. And so you see, again, Jehoshaphat has put himself into this place. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and to go into battle, but you put on your robe. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. So you get yourselves in these difficult days, in these hard places between a rock and the hard spot. The beauty of our relationship with God, it's based upon grace. It's not based upon what we're able to do. And it doesn't fall apart at failure. We'll put ourselves in a bad position But you notice he was able to cry out or he was able to pray to God and God heard his prayer and God delivered him. Verse 32, And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now this is revealed by God, but they would know what King Ahab looked like because previously they were in battle with him and they did see him face to face. Verse 33, now again, this is the hand of the Lord. This isn't even what the world is doing. It says, now a certain man, just one of the guys, drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in the chariot facing the Syrians until evening, and about the time of sunset, he died. So this is just a random shot, this soldier is seeing the enemy coming towards him and he shoots this arrow this arrow finds its mark didn't even hit the armor it found a crease within the armor and so the king understanding that if he's taken off the field the men are going to lose heart so he has himself propped up in a chariot so that they continue the attack 
and more than likely what has happened that he is now, because his wounds weren't attended to, he's bled to death, and now he has fulfilled the prophecy that was given earlier by Elijah the prophet concerning this king. In 1 Kings 21, 17 through 19, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Just as surely as you, and this was a man who Ahab had murdered, just as surely as you murdered this man, you are going to be put to death as well. And so, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat became, as we were warned, are warned not to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he was unequally yoked with an unbeliever. To be yoked together, it's what you would do with two animals. You would yoke two oxen together to plow a field. And these would be animals that were like in nature and like in strength, and they would be able to accomplish the task. But to be unequally yoked is to have two different kinds of animals, which we're told not to do, the Jews were told not to do in the uh, Old Testament, and they would not be able to fulfill the task. And so Jehoshaphat has been commanded to lead God's people. And he's also been commanded not to be unequally yoked, and he has yoked himself with the world. And to yoke yourself with the world is to detract on what you're able to do concerning what God has called you to do. And so we bring this into our culture, into our times. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I'm starting a business. I yoke myself together. I join forces, become partners with an unbeliever. Well, at some point, very likely, there's going to be compromise that's involved. There's going to be some sort of situation, and that unbeliever is not going to be seeking out the Lord. He's going to be trying to go according to his own understanding. And we've already seen what the result of that is. And so we are to depend upon the Lord with all that we have. I decide, there's this young lady, it's time to get married, but she's an unbeliever, and I go ahead and marry her anyway. Once again, I'm yoked together with somebody who is an unbeliever, especially in marriage. In marriage, it says, we're we're told that God wanted to fulfill his image, so he made them male and female. As I stated before, I am only able to project the image of God to this world as I have become one with my wife because that's the one whom God has called me to be one with. And it's then that we're able to fulfill the image of God. Now, if I'm yoked together with an unbeliever, I'm unable to achieve this. And so you have Jehoshaphat. He's yoked himself together with Ahab. And because he's yoked himself together with Ahab, not only is, well, what he had thought would be a good thing to have this buffer between Syria and Israel, or maybe even through Israel because they've defeated uh, Syria once before, that he would be able to completely do away with the threat. But now because of the defeat, he's made himself even more vulnerable than before. Well, just as God released him, delivered him from that battle, God's also going to do a work in his life as we enter into chapter 19. And this is a very important work that we're going to be looking at in chapter 19. Now, you remember what John the Baptist said? There was a day he was out baptizing, 
And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious community that was apart from God, came to see what was going on. There was this new sensation <clears throat> that was going on. When, when we went to Israel, we, after three days up north, we came down south and we were in Jerusalem. And when you're in Jerusalem, about 30 miles or so directly east is the Jordan River. And so it would be about a good day's journey, maybe a couple days' journey, for somebody to go from Jerusalem to the Jordan River. But they heard that there's this man out who is baptizing in the Jordan River, and now we know this is John the Baptist, and so not just this man John the Baptist dunking people in water, but this is of the Spirit of God. And so people are being brought out to that place. And so the religious community hears about this, and they're always concerned about people cutting in on their operation, if you will. And so they go out there. John the Baptist, he sees them coming out there, and he tells them, he yells to them in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. He calls them a brood of vipers, and he says, Therefore, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Remember the message that John was preaching was repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so, you who are far from God, you may return to him, and your return to him should be evidenced by the actions of your life. We have the opportunity to repent, but how do I know I have truly repented? Now, this is for our personal and our own lives. This is for our personal benefit. How do I know I've truly repented? I would bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. If I'm truly repentant, I will bear fruits of that. And it will be fruits of that that I'm able to see and others will be able to partake of. And so we now see evidence of repentance in Jehoshaphat's life. And so again, verses 1 through 3, chapter 19. Then Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. So God was gracious to him and he returned to Jerusalem. And Jehu, this is the verse I read earlier, Jehu is a prophet, the son of Hanani the seer went over to meet him and said <clears throat> to King jo Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? The idea is, should you be unequally yoked with that northern king? It says, therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, how would you like if you recognize somebody as having this connection with God and speaking for God, and he said, the wrath of the Lord is upon you? that should cause you to shake down to your very core. It says, verse 3, which is a great word here, Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. It's what we read about earlier in chapter 17. And so the idea is, this is a man who was a godly man, but he committed sin. And he has to understand that the wrath of God is toward sin, but there's an opportunity for him to get right with God. Jehoshaphat must be a man who repents. And so again, the first thing we're seeing here is a sinner confronted by the word of God. It's through the word of God that a failed believer is going to see one of two things. First, his sin is very apparent. Jehoshaphat knows that he's a sinner, he knows that the prophet knows that he's a sinner, and they both know that God knows that he's a sinner. And so the idea is, is that he's naked or transparent before the Lord. Now, if we are open and honest before the Lord, he'll review our true nature and true condition. Because sin not acknowledged is sin that is not dealt with. 
That's why we read the Word of God. We see the areas where... Now keep in mind what sin means. Sin just simply means missing the mark. The bullseye, that's God's standard for perfection. Only Jesus Christ was able to hit that. I may even be able to hit the bullseye a few times. But every once in a while, I'm going to sin or I'm going to miss the mark. And there's going to come sometimes that I'll even transgress. Transgression is willfully missing the mark. It's knowing something is sin and doing it anyway. And so there's this revelation of sin. And again, it's a good thing so that this sin can be dealt with. That Jehoshaphat would not continue on in sin and bring calamity to his country, but that he would repent and get right and God's grace would once again be upon this nation. It's why Adam and Eve weren't just left in the bushes covered in fig leaves. God brought them out and had them get those lambskins. They sacrificed this lamb and took the lamb for a proper covering. It's why when they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, there were those angels that were left there to guard it. Why? At least they come back in and partake of the tree of life, and they live forever in a sinful condition apart from God, which is the literal definition of hell. God reveals our sin to us so that sin can be dealt with and the relationship can be healed. Because if the relationship isn't healed and if sin is not dealt with, then there's a separation that is not fixed. So first, sin, his desire that sin will become very apparent. Secondly, when it comes to the sins of a believer, that we are convicted but not condemned. God will convict us of our sin but God never condemns us. That will be the devil that whispers in your ear and condemns you. What kind of Christian are you that you could do something like that? Well, whatever it is, some other Christian has done it before as well. God is the God who forgives sin. Matter of fact, whatever sin it is that we commit in our Christian life, on the day of our salvation, God already knew that we were going to commit it. And don't run out of here saying, yippee, I can go and commit that sin. Because there is always going to be, we'll see this in a little bit, repercussion for that sin. But we thank God when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, that we have a Redeemer who lives and is ever ready to make intercession for us. We're told in 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. What does it mean, our heart condemning us? That, once again, is, I failed once more, Lord. That which I repented of time and time again, I find myself doing even one more time. What kind of believer am I? Am I even a believer? And this is allowing, again, your own understanding to become greater than God's word in your life, and you condemn yourself. And somebody who is condemned, or at least the knowledge of a coming condemnation, is somebody who is going to be destroyed and rendered ineffective. And says it, it says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have a confidence in God. If I understand the magnitude of God's grace and how deep his forgiveness goes, I'm going to have a confidence in this life. I always want to live this life pleasing my God. Again, remember we read Jehoshaphat last week in chapter 17 and the things that he did. And I need to walk with God. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I don't think anybody can sin with immunity, at least think that they are doing so. John addressed that at the beginning of this chapter. But those whom sin is revealed, we need to deal with it. But once sin is uh, dealt with, then sin is released and guilt is released as well. 
Verse 24, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us command. To go back to the purpose of ministry, of glorifying God and ministering to the brethren within the body of Christ. If we do these things, we do well. That would be our fruits of repentance. Once again, following through in obedience in God's word and ministering to the saints, producing fruit that others are able to come and to partake of. Next, we do see in chapter 19, we see the fruits of that repentance in verse 4. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again amongst the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim, from north to south, and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. I don't know exactly what had happened here. I don't know because he left the people that the people went back to the idols because we're going to see he needed to cleanse the land from idols once again. If some of them were taken captive, we'll see Moab and Ammon are now starting to skirmish. But nonetheless, these people were far from the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat, because he realized that God took him back, that he needed to in turn bear fruits of repentance and do the work that has been done for him. So first he took back those who were led astray, more than likely based upon his sin, the things that he has done. When you understand the magnitude to which God has forgiven you, it's then that you will be able to forgive others. And so Jesus showed us how God feels about those who cause those who are less mature to stumble. Remember in Matthew 18, 6, the millstone, you'd be better off than a millstone be hung around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. And so see the responsibility that we have? It's not just living a godly life that I would be well-pleasing to him, but also that I would be a benefit into somebody else's life. And even further than that, that I wouldn't be a detriment in somebody else's life. And so people look at somebody more mature, and they see that example, and they follow that example. But keep in mind, they do it for the positive, and they do it for the negative. When they see somebody who is not walking right with the Lord, who they respect, who seems to be more mature, and they follow that path, are you causing a young one to stumble? Jesus once again showed the magnitude of God's feelings. It would be better if a millstone, millstone is about two and a half feet, and it probably it weighs hundreds of pounds, that this thing would be hung around your neck and you would be thrown into the deepest sea. A true love for God will be seen in how we handle the relationships of our lives. So what Joseph, Jehoshaphat is doing there, he's repairing the breach that he caused between the people and God through his actions. The king's next act of repentance is the establishment of the integration of God's word into the daily lives of the people. Verse 5, Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. In both Exodus and Deuteronomy, we saw God's will and how his people are to be governed. They are to govern fairly. They are to govern for the benefit of all people, whether rich or poor, sick, whatever they may be. And it's always through men who 
God's desire, who were of God's will, would minister through his word. And so again, we see these progressions. The prophet would bring the word of God to the people. The priest would teach the word of God. Then there would be the judge, and the judge would make determinations of what is going. Well, we'll see here in verses 8 through 11, he's going to set some priest over the... Um, the, the religious issues, and he's going to send a governor over secular issues. But this is how Israel was to conduct themselves because ultimately they were to be governed by God. And so you would have prophet, priest, judge, and the people would be the beneficiary of that. Problem was is that the people wanted a king as all the other nations had king. God allowed it, but still that progression was there. There was prophet who brought the word of God, priest who taught the word of God, then there was the prince who would govern according to the word of God. And once again, then the people would be the beneficiary of these things. And so the king's next act of repentance is the establishment of godly government. So once again, in verses 8 through 11, I'm not going to read it, but he appointed the priests and he appointed some governors. And really what this is, if verses 4 through 7 was lower courts, then verses 8 through 11 would be the Supreme Court. These were the ultimate big decisions concerning the nation. So 4 through 7 would be a local community. Verses 8 through 11 would be the bigger things that either the lower courts couldn't decide or bigger issues for the nation. So really what Jehoshaphat has done here, he's in his kingdom, he has now given it over to the rule of God. This is how God has determined that he desires to rule his people. So what do we see in Jehoshaphat? Well, we saw in, in, in chapter 17 that this is a man who desires to please God. In, in chapter 18, though, he went astray as we all go astray. He became unequally yoked with this man Ahab. And disaster came upon the land. But in chapter 19, when, he was, when his sin was laid out before him, he had a heart of repentance. Now moving into chapter 20, the shift is from repentance to repercussions. But this is repercussions that are seasoned with God's grace. Again, there's always going to be repercussions for our actions. We sin before the Lord, and we come to a knowledge of it, we repent but there's still possible repercussions for the decisions that we make. So the first thing we see is Judah's plight. Chapter 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria and they are in Hazan Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. So what you need to see here is a couple of things. First, Moab and Ammon were under Judah's domination. They had conquered them during King David's day. And those cities were paying tribute or taxes to them. But now they're in rebellion. And so what they want to do is more than likely here... I don't think they think they can uh, uh, defeat Judah, but they're probably trying to commit a buffer zone. They're, they're, they're realizing, okay, well, there was that disaster up north. Maybe God's not with them as he was before. They're still concerned about Syria. Matter of fact, we'll join forces with Syria, and we'll be able to set ourselves free. But also notice the difference here between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Ahab, 
he wasn't going to seek anybody out, but when pressed, he sought the false prophets. But here we see the people, well, again, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. A fast in prayer, they're always joined together. So they're honestly and wholeheartedly seeking the Lord. And um, verse 4, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek God. And so Jehoshaphat's godly response to the situation caused the people to respond in a godly manner as well. And then verses 5 through 13, we see Jehoshaphat's prayer. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? And are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have gained us, uh, given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. What he's doing in the first part of this prayer He's not reminding God, really, in the totality of the prayer. He's not reminding God of these things. He's not holding God accountable to his word so much. What he's doing is, is for the purpose of reminding himself. Sometimes, especially when we are faced with a great adversary, with an overwhelming situation, we've got to be reminded of who it is that is seated upon the throne. And so what he's done is he's visited the past. There was people that were more populous than us, who were greater than us when uh, Joshua entered into the promised land. And really, Joshua was facing a greater enemy, but God fought for them, and God delivered the land into their hands. And that God who fought with Joshua is the God who fights with us, Jehoshaphat would say today. But also, this is the same God who, even as he interacted in their lives, he'll interact in our lives as well. Do you see the importance of these people in the Old Testament, Jehoshaphat, that we see his godliness. We need to be a godly people, but we also see his imperfections as well. To understand God's not looking for perfection, and it's not the perfect person in which he helps. It's the person that humbles himself and seeks after him. We saw it this morning. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And if we don't humble ourselves, then the only person we have to lift ourselves up is ourselves, we can't do a very good job with that. Verse 14, there's an, another prophet. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jasiel. It says in verse 15, and he said, listen to all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. They're being reminded that these people, as they're coming up against Jehoshaphat, as they're coming up against Judah, they're not coming up against Jehoshaphat so much. 
They're coming up against God. This is God's chosen people, and they're in the promised land. They're trying to violate the Lord. Verse 16, Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Now, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah. The inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God with voices loud and high. Those are the ones who, who lead worship. And so stand still. The idea is you guys aren't going to have to fight. This is going to be, you're going to stand there and you're going to see a miracle of God. Why are they going to see a miracle of God? Because they have first sought the Lord out. They're not going to have to achieve this in the flesh because they have sought God out in the spirit. And what we'll see, I'm not going to go through, and well, I will, in verses 20 through 23, a jubilant praise. So they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They finally they started fighting themselves, and they consumed themselves in this battle. And so you see the magnitude to which Jehoshaphat believed God. Now, if you're going to war against a formidable enemy, you put your best forces out front because you want to make the best show. And if you put your worst forces out front or your most inept forces out front, they start defeating them. It's going to cause terror to come into the hearts of the people behind, and there's going to be a big defeat. And so who is it that Jehoshaphat put forward? He put the worship people out forward. Why? Because he knew that he was more than a conqueror. He knew that he was fighting from the standpoint of victory, and it was God who was given the victory. In the midst of these victory, now the victory hadn't been obtained yet, and so he's walking by faith, but he was praising and worshiping God. And what was all of this based upon? It was based upon the promises of God. It was based upon the word of God. And it flows through in the same in our lives. Verses 24 through 30, that we're not going to read, but it just speaks of the great victory and it speaks of the plunder that they were able to gather. And then we see Jehoshaphat's epilogue. We see his family there and then down in verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. So he's doing it again. He's become unequally yoked with another king of the north. Ahab's dead, Ahaziah is his son. Verse 36, And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezeon, Gibir. But Eliezer, the son of Dodava, of that place, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. And if we go into chapter 21, just looking at the first verse, and Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. So Jehoshaphat, a person just like us, 
Victories in the Lord, defeats in the flesh. But the thing that overcomes it all, again, is the grace of God. Jehoshaphat's testimony is that he was a man who sought after the Lord. King David is a man after God's own heart. We know very well of his sin. And the beauty in all of that, you know very well your sin. But you can still be a person after God's own heart. Conduct yourself according to the word of God, understanding all that God is able to do as he is seated upon the throne. And as much as depends upon you, worship him throughout your life, through your words, and through your deeds. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us these vivid pictures, Lord, in the Old Testament that relate to us even today. And so, Father, I pray that we would grasp on to these things and that we would hold them dear to our hearts, that we would realize, I pray for those who are here tonight, that they would come to the realization that whatever it is that they're entering in this coming week, God, you have already done a work. So, Father, as we are more than conquerors as well, I pray that your praises would go before us. That, God, if there's areas of our lives that we've been defeated in, then, Lord, we would seek you out for restoration. If, God, we've still yet to repent, I pray, Father, that we would do so. But nonetheless, Lord, may we just submit ourselves to you and see you do a great work in our lives, Father, that would be well apparent for all, whether in victory or defeat, God. May we be yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? We're taking sign-ups for a family night that we're going to be having on March 9th. We need to take sign-ups to get an idea on how many people are coming that night. It's a Saturday night. We're going to have game nights and the chili cook-off and whatnot. And um, Not only are we inviting the people of our church, but if you know somebody, even an unbeliever, that you would invite them and they would see the Lord here. And so that's an opportunity. Um, Also, it's in the bulletin, um, getting ready to do a question and answer in one of our services. And so if you ever had a question that you wanted to ask and you never felt, excuse me, never felt comfortable asking, you can write it on one of the bulletins. Just put it on the bulletin. You don't have to put your name on it. Put it in the agape box. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect them and then I'm going to devote a service. Or if there's two services worth, I'll devote two services and just answer the questions. And so just keep that in mind. If you're watching on Facebook Live or anything, you can also type your question there and we'll get to answering them. Other than that, have a great week. God bless you. and stories of what they think you're like but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only you.
provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are night. God bless you guys. And let's uh, leave here with a heart for God this week. God bless you.